sometimes we don't truly understand or know ourselves. Let me illustrate. So a couple years ago, I was not there, but my father, my family uh, live in southeastern Kentucky, and my father enjoys cutting down trees to uh, prepare and to heat our house in the wintertime. And so he thinks himself a master at cutting down trees and using a, a chainsaw. Well, there was this poplar tree growing about 50 feet from our house. It's probably about 60, 70 feet tall, and poplar is a really soft wood, and so it, it, can, it can easily fall with a large storm. And so he decided to take my two younger brothers and cut down this tree, cut it the opposite way before you know, it fell on the house, because it was kind of leaning towards the house and the porch. So my brothers lassoed the tree about midway up, and they're ready to pull. My dad starts cutting away, cutting away, and the tree starts falling, except it fell on the house, on the porch. So you think that a man who had been using a chainsaw for so long in his life would, would understand and would be able to fall a tree the right way. Really comes down to it. My father learned a lesson that day. Pride cometh before a fall. <laughs> But this is true for all of us. There are points and times in our lives that, that we don't truly understand who we are. Whether it's pride that puffs, puffs ourselves up or selfishness that, that, that tends to consume our hearts. We lose sight of who we really are. In this passage tonight, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And this passage is, has been... Uh, really monumental in my life, especially the last couple months, trying to understand um, what God is, is doing and saying in this passage. So if you have it, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And as you turn, let me just give you a little bit of background. In the preceding verses, um, John the Baptist was captured by King Herod, and he's put in prison waiting execution. And so his disciples come to Jesus, and, he, and they ask him, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one that, that, that we've, been, we've been promoting and that, that we've been, um, been calling people to repent for? Because they were unsure. And Jesus, in response, says, yes, I, I am he. And he goes on to, to kind of exalt and praise John, saying that of a, born, a man born of woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. But at the same time, he also transitions his, his thoughts and his focus to those who disregard John's message. And we know that to be the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees heard John, but yet they were unmoved by what John was saying. John's message was about repentance and turning from sin, and, and yet they decided not to follow, not to believe what John was saying. And so Jesus strikes a chord with the Pharisees, as he typically did in the New Testament, saying that they, they didn't repent, they weren't baptized in the, in the baptism of repentance. And so we come to this section here in verse 36. But before we get into Scripture, let's pray. Father God, would you bless the reading of your word? Holy Spirit, would you come and break our hearts? Lord, I pray that no one would leave this evening unchanged or, or, um, or, or, or as they came in. But Father, we need you to speak to us. Lord, I pray that my words would not be from me, but Lord, that you would speak through me. 
Father, I pray that you change our hearts and help us to understand who we really are in you. So, Father, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, as we go along in this passage, I'm going to be kind of discussing things to give you some background, all right? Jewish culture is not the same as American culture. They did things way differently. And so there's a lot of things that we need to understand about this passage as we go through this, okay? So first, we see that the Pharisee is asking Jesus over to his house. Well, we know that there wasn't really a good relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, why would a Pharisee invite Jesus over to his house? Now, we also know that at this time, Jesus was well-known. He had many people following him and asking for miracles and, 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 and for healings and, and, and listening to his teachings. So we know that Jesus was, was, um, was very popular in this day and age. And so by the Pharisee asking Jesus over to his house, we, we come to the conclusion, or I've come to the conclusion that, that it was very self-centered, that he asked Jesus over to his house so that people would un- realize that, oh, Jesus is going to this Pharisee's house. They desired attention, whether they were giving money, whether they were preaching or praying on the, uh, on the corner of the streets. Everything they did was for the attention and the praise of man. And Jesus confronts this in the Gospels. And so Jesus comes over to the Pharisee's house. Now, they sat down, Scripture says they sat down and ate. But back in those days, they didn't have tables and chairs like, like we have in which we eat upon. They actually um, would recline laying down on pillows and blankets that kind of surrounded this area of the room. And during that time, um, a mealtime was very much centered upon community and fellowship. They didn't have movies to go to, concerts. They didn't have video games. I know, I know. Life must have been boring back there without video games or Pokemon Go. Um, what they had was they had each other. So they talked and they fellowshiped. And meals would last for a long time, hours. As well because meals would, would be cooked and developed slowly. And so Jesus is, real, is reclining with the Pharisee and, and his guests. Now there's one more thing. In those days, if you were someone of importance your house was open to the public during mealtimes. So if you invited guests, people from the community would come in and stand on the outer edges of the room and listen to your conversation. Now, I know some of you wives or ladies are thinking like, oh, I would never do that. Watch me eat. That's, that's terrible. But this is what they did back then. This was, this was how society went. And so it helps us understand that, that the Pharisee invited Jesus over knowing that people would come and that they'd see them talking, and they'd see Jesus fellowshipping with this Pharisee. It also helps to explain the next two verses. Because we see in the next two verses, someone strange enters the picture. And behold, a, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, 
It says that she was a known sinner. Now, in other translations, you might have she was a prostitute. Because if she's a known sinner by the public, you'd have to think that, well, prostitution being uh, a very public sin, oftentimes the way they dressed also signified that they were a prostitute. But this is the type of woman that came in, that arrives at the Pharisee's house. And it's interesting to note that everyone in the room knew that she was a sinner, that she was of a certain type of people, definitely not the type of the Pharisees, but rather a sinful woman. And we see that her character and her actions are quite strange. She enters the room and immediately goes to Jesus Christ as he's reclining, and he be, she begins to cry. And with her tears, she wets his feet. And with her hair, she wipes his feet off and then begins to pour this alabaster oil on Jesus' feet. Now, it's interesting, because if you pictured yourself in a room, a crowded room, with a couple men eating, you'd have to think, man, there was probably a large elephant in that room. Really uncomfortable. Because as soon as she entered, with her attire and, and, and her actions, you'd think that, that all the attention in the entire room would go straight to her. What is she going to do? What is Jesus going to say? What is he going to do? Is he going to kick her out? How about the host, the Pharisee? What's he going to do? What's he thinking right now? You know, uncomfortable situations are, are, are not really fun to be in. I've, I've had plenty in my life, trust me. Um, but, but still, they're not enjoyable. It's funny to look back on them and be like, oh, that was awkward. But but really they're not enjoyable in the moment and much less in this time because what this woman is doing is she is opening herself up to public disgrace and public shame so that she can honor Jesus Christ. Let's go on. Because in verse, in verse 39 it says, And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man... If he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's interesting. These are the thoughts of the Pharisee. It's almost like, for example, let's say um, Hillary Clinton was having a campaign and a lot of people were gathered. It's almost like Donald Trump walking right in the middle and just having a conversation with someone there. You'd think, What? That would never happen. But this Pharisee is thinking in his mind, what is she doing? If she really knew who this was, Jesus Christ, she wouldn't touch him. And if Jesus really knew who this woman was, she would, he, he would tell her to, to leave and get away from me. Because the Pharisee in his mindset, what he was doing was he was living his life and judging others by the letter of the law. Being a sinner a prostitute most likely, we know that she, this woman, would have been unclean, ceremonially unclean. For anyone of the law or anyone uh, who followed the law were to touch her, they would be unclean themselves. And so he thinks in his mind according to the law. But you see what this really is? This is judgmental. This is, he's casting judgment on the woman not knowing who she is. You see, the, the problem in this passage is that the Pharisee doesn't see her. He, he doesn't see her. 
I think this is what is really common in all of humanity, is that we don't see people well. We see their exterior. We see their emotions. But do we see the pains and the hurts in their hearts? Do we see the brokenness that cover them, that swallow them? Oftentimes, our very thoughts and our, and our thoughts go the same way as this Pharisee. We judge a book by the cover. But it's interesting because he doesn't just judge this woman. He judges Jesus Christ as well, saying if this man were really a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is. So he judges Jesus Christ himself, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I find that humorous because he doesn't understand who he's speaking to. And in verse 40, we see that Jesus kind of reacts to this. And Jesus answered him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Judging Jesus, not, not, not understanding that he can read thoughts, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, uh, present and omnipotent, he is, he is God. And so Jesus, reading his thoughts, knowing his thoughts, replies to him and says, I have something to say to you. Now, when I read that, I kind of went back to my younger days when I was like five years old and my mom told me to take a nap. And I didn't want to take a nap, so I'd lay down for 15 minutes and, be, and then get back up and ask her, hey, can I, I took a nap, can I be done now? And my parents always figured out that I didn't take a nap. Somehow they knew. You know, parents have that superpower too, I guess. But Jesus' understanding, he knew the Pharisee better than the Pharisee knew himself, was able to speak truth into this man's life and to teach him. And this is what we see from Jesus when he directly confronts the Pharisee. In verse 41 and 42, it says, There was a creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Jesus often spoke in parables. In fact, in the Gospels, it's recorded that he told over, over 45 parables. And so it's interesting that he addresses this and he wants to teach the Pharisee a lesson with a point to it. And so he tells them this story, that there were two debtors, one with a, a large, enormous amount of debt and one with a smaller amount of debt. Now, in those days, a denarii was one day's wage. So if you worked for one day, you received one denarii. So 50 denarii would take about a month and a half, maybe two months to pay off. Now, if you had a debt of 500 denarii, that would take a lot longer. A year, two years, three years, maybe. But it's much more, much more significant. And so he asked this question to Simon the Pharisee. He says, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Jesus doesn't pose the question saying, which one is more joyful? Which one feels better? Which one is more excited that his debt is forgiven? He says, which one will love him more? See how he, how he posed that question as referring back to the creditor, to the one who forgave the debts? It's not based upon one's feeling of 
of forgiveness, but, but, but rather the forgiver who has done the work. Now, this is one of those questions that, that, that Jesus sprung on, uh, on Simon the, the Pharisee. Difficult to, um, to answer at times correctly. I remember when I was um, at Moody Bible College, my professors loved to give spontaneous questions and point students out, um, out, you know, asking a question, say, hey, what's the answer? And if you didn't get it, then you were ashamed and you're like, oh, you felt terrible about yourself. And if you're not good under pressure, it makes it even more uncomfortable. But the Pharisee answers Jesus and he answers, answers correctly. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now it's interesting, because yea, he, he guessed right. But at the same time, while he said yes, the one who, who, who owed more, he was indirectly condemning himself, his actions, without knowing it. You see, that's the beauty of a parable, because it tells in a different light, what's really going on in here. This is what Nathan did to David when, David, when he confronted David uh, in his sin with Bathsheba. He said, he said there's a shepherd, um, there's an owner with many sheep, and yet he stole, he stole the sheep from one man to, to really um, to make a meal and prepare it for his guests. And that enraged David. But really what happened is that David was, Nathan was giving David a lesson in, in his own heart. And Jesus is doing that exact same thing here. He's teaching Simon a lesson from a parable that he's going to tie back into his own life. And he goes on to explain in verse 44. Says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Notice, do you see this woman? There was a point in time in my life that I, I did a fascinating study through the Gospels of how many times it's recorded that Jesus saw and had compassion. Saw and had compassion. Because there's a difference because when you see someone and you, and you see their hurts and their pains and, and you just see someone and then forget about them. So Jesus is saying, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, her hair, with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. In those days, if you were an honored guest in a house, it was customary and it was, it was uh, the mark of a good host to, um, to wash someone's feet when they came in. And the reason for that being is they didn't have tennis shoes. They didn't have sneakers. They had sandals. And, and on the roads in those days, they weren't paved. They were, they were dusty and dirty. And so your feet would get dirty very quickly. So it was customary for someone entering, upon entering someone's house, the host would at least give them water to wash their feet. Now, if it was an honored guest, they, the, they themselves or their servant would wash their honored guest's feet and wipe it for them and, and, and cleanse it for them. But we see here that Jesus says, none of that happened when I entered your house. On top of that, Jesus says, says um, 
you gave me no kiss. A customary greeting in those days was, was going and kissing the side of their cheek to welcome. Jesus received no kiss. And on top of that, a very honored guest would receive oil on their head, on their hair. And that was symbolic and significant because in those days, oil was precious. And if you anointed someone's head with oil, you blessed them upon entering a house. And Jesus says, none of that happened. But yet this woman, this sinful woman, since the very time she has come in, she hasn't stopped crying, weeping, and washing my feet. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And on top of that, on the very top of that, she anoints my feet with oil. Now in this society, this society was very much of an honor and shame society. Pharisees were, were, were often honored because of their reputation, because of, uh, of their, their diligence in the law. Now lesser people like shepherds, and sinners, they were often shamed anytime they were in public. And so Jesus is kind of saying, he's, he's given us a contrast. He's saying, Simon, do you understand that you have not honored me? In fact, you've shamed me from the very time that I've come into your presence. And yet this woman, even though she's of low reputation, she has honored me completely. But then here in verse 47, we see the, the pinnacle, the crux of it all. And this is the verse that I really want you guys to take home tonight and to, and, and, and to, and to meditate on. Because this is what it's all about. This is the lesson that he gives to Simon. This is the honor that he gives to this sinner, this woman who's a sinner. It says this, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, I want to stop and, and, and really focus on this verse. As he's saying, this woman has loved much. Now it's interesting because it, or in order to understand this love that this woman demonstrates towards Jesus Christ, it's imperative that we stop and focus on a three-letter word, sin. The difference between the Pharisee and this prostitute is the fact that he does not see his sin for what it truly is. And yet her sin, while it is great, brings her to a point of brokenness and repentance. This is the monumental difference between the Pharisee and this woman. And Jesus says that this woman has loved much. And while he, while he doesn't say specifically she has been forgiven much, therefore she loves much, it's, it is implied that she knows her sin and realizes that in her forgiveness that she is loved and that in turn she can love others and not be judgmental. You see, the Pharisee was very much accustomed to being being the center of attention, being a man who was regarded as above the law. But at the same time, this sort of honor brought him a lot of pride in his life. So what we see here is we see a man who, who, who really has very little love because in his heart and in his mind, he thinks that since he keeps the law, he, needs, he does not need a savior. 
And this goes back to earlier in the passage when Jesus talks about John and how his, his call, his teaching was about repentance. And yet the disciples, not yet the Pharisees, decided to ignore that because it's about them. It's about their, their understanding that the law can save them. It's self-righteousness. So Jesus says here, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now if we go back to this parable of the debtors, we need to understand that the one who had the, the greater debt is the one who it affected most. They both had debt, all right? Much like the Pharisee and, and this woman, they both had sin. They're both sinners. And yet this woman realized that her sin was so great that she needed a great Savior. And that, that brokenness brought her to a point of action. Not only understanding her sin, but really doing something about it. The Pharisee was the exact opposite. He showed very little love for Jesus Christ. Very little emotion, very little honor for such a man. An accurate understanding of sin leads to a heart of love and gratefulness to, to the Lord. Now this needs to be understood for all people. Whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've acknowledged your sin and, and repented of your sin or you haven't. So I've, I feel like in our culture, in our society, that sin has been min, minimized. It's trivial nowadays. And what happens is that, is that when, we, when we don't understand the hideousness of sin, we lose sight of who God is. If we think of our sin just as, oh, Jesus forgave, us, forgave me of this, then it's okay, I can go on. But if we understand what sin really is and how it affects our lives and how it affects our relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Lord, and that should impact our lives, impact our decision, impact our thankfulness and our humility before a great God. I work with young adults. Back in Kentucky, I used to work with, with high schoolers and junior hires. It was, it was fascinating to see just how my age group justifies their sin. Our, the media and our culture, our culture almost approves of sin and makes light of it. But we need to understand that when we understand the gravity of sin, the depravity of sin, that that is directly tied not only to our relationship with God, but how we love each other. It's easy to make light of sin and just cast it off and say, hey, you know, I've been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me of that and I'm grateful. It's good to understand that, that, that yes, Jesus' death and resurrection has covered all of our sins. But when we justify sin, we distance ourselves from our God. 
This happens easily, and it happens slowly, bit by bit by, by bit, until we come to a point where we, we realize that, 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 it, that to get back to where we were is, is difficult. It's hard. It's work. You see, oftentimes, we look and we act like the Pharisee. I, I, myself included. Because I look at people's exterior and I judge them based upon what, what they look like. I, I, I think myself righteous because I, I, I read my, my Bible, I study, and, 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 and I do all these things, but that means nothing. That means nothing. What God desires is he desires a broken and contrite heart. That's what he desires from all of us. It's when we understand that sin when we understand our sin and realize it for what it really is, then, then we can glory in God's forgiveness and his grace that he has given to us over and over and over again in our lives. This woman believed that Jesus Christ would forgive her of her sins, and that's what brought her to this place of shame. In our lives as believers, do we understand that sin affects us? Yes, while Christ's blood has forgiven us, do we understand that, that sin still affects us, our relationship with the Lord? It also affects and deals with our hearts and our attitudes towards one another. Because when we realize that, that we are great sinners, we need to, to also at the same time understand that there are people around us who are just like us. We're not better than them. Sin is the great equalizer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer um, has an excellent quote in a, a book that he wrote called Life Together, the classic ex- exploration of Christian community. And he says this, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable, in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. It's easy to, it's easy to compare ourselves with a person next to us. But God, has, God allows us to continue on in our lives, in our sin at times, so that we can understand our need daily for someone greater, for someone better than us, a savior. So let's continue on and round out this passage, verses 48 through 50. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Notice once again that the audience, the public who is listening, thinks to themselves, who is this? You think Jesus knew what they were saying? Yeah. So his last response is this. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We need to understand that tonight, that, that our faith has saved us. The blood of Christ is sufficient for all of our sins. But at the same time, that we can learn from the sins that we commit every day and use those to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Because he is gracious. He is loving. He is merciful. And that's what we need. 
Psalms 51, and David says this perfectly. He says this, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. That's what we need to have a heart that acknowledges our sin because in that we are humbled by God's grace in constant need of a savior rather than relying our, on ourselves and our good works and, and, and our, our daily Bible readings. We need a constant reminder that, that we are great sinners and we have an even greater savior. So with that, as we come and, and take communion tonight, as, as Billy and the worship team um, play their last worship song, I want you guys to, to, to think about sin. To think about, does your sin bring you closer to the Lord or do you use it to distance yourself from him? Because it's one or the other. Yet we can still use those times to really come before the, the throne of God and acknowledge what he's done and who he is in our lives. Communion is a great way to celebrate that because it's a constant reminder of the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we need each and every day. There, all, there will also be pastors who, are, who will be sitting down here. If you need someone to pray with or just acknowledge sin in your life, they will gladly be here to pray. So let's close our time in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the fact that, um, that you are a loving Savior. While we are great sinners, you are a greater Savior. And I pray that our sin would help us to understand our need for you each and every day, more and more. Lord, I pray that our sin would also humble our hearts. Watch that as we are interacting with our brothers and sisters, as we're interacting with people in our workplaces, in our, in our communities, we would not, we would not, exalt ourselves over them, but we would understand that we, like them, need you. So Father, would you um, do a work in our lives? Help us to understand what sin really is. Because in that, we, we have a better and clearer view of who you are, your grace and your love. So Father, thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.